and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told in the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here your news, reviews, discussion, and of course stories. I'm your host Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, and I am actually in the studio here in Portland, Maine, WPG FM. Uh, a little bit uh, unusual for me to actually be in the studio these days. I've been uh, having fun reporting to you uh, from the field, but I'm actually going so far off in the field this weekend that you will not hear from me um, off, off, off the grid in Eustis, Maine. Uh, so I am getting this podcast out in time for you to enjoy your dose of audio horror. Um, today we've got uh, back-to-back features. Uh, first up is a piece from the Tales for a Stormy Night collection. Uh, this is by the late, great Yuri Rosovsky. Uh, Yuri, of course, uh, produced dozens and dozens of shows over his long and uh, celebrated career. Uh, worked, um, you know, in, in his in his uh, last few years on some really high-profile projects. Worked with Val Kilmer on a uh, new Zorro, Mark of Zorro adaptation. Um, also worked on Die Snow White, Die's last project, and, uh, nominated for an Audi right um, in, in his last years. And so, so working up right until uh, the day he died. Um, and this was one of many of those different productions that he did, uh, 2000X, uh, another uh, famous one, a huge one on The Odyssey, and many, many other shows, uh, The Maltese Falcon and others. Um, so this is just a, a collection of uh, most, I think, public domain uh, classic horror tales done with some really great actors throughout this. The piece I'm going to play is uh, by William Butler Yeats, Purgatory. Um, it does require you paying attention. There's um, um, very authentic Irish accent in it. Um, and a, a nice little twisted tale of someone confronting his younger self in a uh, state of darkness and uh, reliving horrific events that he has done. Um, great little classic. Um, we're going to follow that up with um, another classic, a Cask of Amontillado. Uh, this will be by uh, my friend Bill Dufries as part of his Horror Scopes collection, which is now under his audio comics company brand, uh, The Cask of Amontillado. So two different classic tales by two different artists, starting off with Yuri Rosovsky's take on William Butler Yeats' Purgatory. Purgatory by William Butler Yeats, performed by Eddie Golden, Chanda Remus, and Ira Burton. The personal specters were on a desolate Irish moor. It is night. Near a long-forgotten roadway stands the burned-out ruins of a once-great mansion. The old estate is deserted except for two figures that are approaching. An old peddler and carrying the peddler's sack. His arrogant, illegitimate Ach, door, son. Hall, door, hither and thither, day and night, hiller, holler, children, this pack, hearing you talk. Study that house. Where are the jokes and stories of our house? It's threshold gone to patch a pigsty. So you've come this path before. Study that tree. What is it like? A silly old man. It's like... No matter what it's like. I saw it a year ago, stripped bare as now. So I chose a better tree. I saw it 50 years ago before the thunderbolt had riven it. Green leaves, ripe leaves, leaves thick as butter, fat, greasy life. 
stand there and look because there is somebody in that house. There's nobody here. There's somebody there. The flower is gone, the wind is gone, and when there should be roof, there's sky. And here's a bit of an eggshell thrown out of a jackdaw's nest. But there are some that do not care what's gone, what's left. The souls in purgatory that come back to habitations and familiar spots. Your wits are out again. Relive their transgressions, and that not once, but many times. They know at last the consequence of those transgressions, whether upon others or upon themselves. Upon others, others may bring help. For when the consequence is at an end, the dream must end. If upon themselves, there is no help but in themselves and in the mercy of God. Well, I have had enough. Talk to the jackdaws if talk you must. Stop! Sit there upon that stone. That is the house where I was born. The big old house that was burnt down? My mother that was your granddam owned it. This scenery and this countryside, kennel and stable, horse and hound. She had a horse at the corner. And there met my father, a groom in a training stable. Looked at him and married him. Her mother never spoke to her again, and she did right. What's right and wrong? My granddad got the girl and the money? Looked at him and married him. And he squandered everything she had. She never knew the worst, because she died in giving birth to me. But now she knows it all, being dead. Great people lived and died in this house. Magistrates, colonels, members of parliament, captains and governors. They had loved the trees that he cut down to pay what he had lost at cards or spent on horses, drink and women. Had loved the house. Had loved all the intricate passages of the house. But he killed the house. To kill a house where great men grew up, married, died, I here declare a capital offence. My God, but you had luck. Grand clothes and maybe a grand horse to ride. That he might keep me upon his level. He never sent me to school. But some half love me for my half of horror. A gamekeeper's wife taught me to read. Catholic curate taught me Latin. There were old books and books made fine by 18th century French binding. Books modern and ancient. Books be the ton. But what education have you given me? I gave the education of if it's a bastard that a peddler got upon a tinker's daughter in a ditch. When I had come to sixteen years old, my father burned down the house when drunk. But that is my age. Sixteen years old at the puck fair. And everything was burnt. Books, library, all were burnt. Is what I have heard upon the road the truth? That you killed him in the burning house? 
there's nobody here but our two selves. Nobody, father. I stuck him with a knife. That knife that cuts my dinner now. And after that, I left him in the fire. They dragged him out. Somebody saw the knife wound, but could not be certain because the body was all black and charred. Then some that were his drunken friends swore they would put me upon trial, spoke of quarrels, a threat I had made. The gamekeeper gave me some old clothes. I ran away, worked here and there till I became a peddler on the roads. No good trade, but good enough because I am my father's son. Because of what I did or may do. Listen to the hoofbeats. Listen, listen. I cannot hear a sound. Beat, beat. This night is the anniversary of my mother's wedding night. Or of the night wherein I was begotten. My father is riding from the public house, a whiskey bottle under his arm. Look at the window. She stands there, listening. The servants are all in bed. She is alone. He has stayed late, bragging and drinking in the public house. There's nothing but an empty gap in the wall. You've made it up. No, you're mad. You're getting madder every day. This night she is no better than her man and does not mind that he is half drunk. She is mad about him. They mount the stairs. She brings him into her own chamber. And that is the marriage chamber now. The window is dimly lit again. Do not let him touch you. It is not true that drunken men cannot beget. And if he touch, he must beget. And you must bear his murderer. Death. Both death. If I should throw a stick or a stone, they would not hear. Oh, that's a proof my wits are out. But there's a problem. She must live through everything in exact detail, driven to it by remorse. And yet, can she renew the sexual act and find no pleasure in it? And if not, if pleasure and remorse must both be there, which is the greater? I lack schooling. Go fetch Tertullian. He and I will ravel all that problem out whilst those two lie upon the mattress begetting me. Come back! Come back! Oh! Are you so you thought to slip away my bag of money between your fingers and that I could not talk and see? You have been rummaging in the pack. You never gave me me right share. And had I given it young as you are, you would have spent it upon drink. What if I did? I had a right to get it and spend it as I chose. Give me that bag of no more words. I will not. I will break your fingers. What if I killed you? You killed my granddad because you were young and he was old. Better looking. Those 16 years. What are you muttering? Younger... And yet, she should have known he was not her kind. What are you saying? Out with it. <gasps> My God. The window is lit up. 
and somebody stands there, although the floorboards are burnt away. The window is lit up because my father has come to find a glass for his whiskey. He leans there like some tired beast. A dead, living, murdered man. Then the bride's sleep fell upon Adam. Where did I read those words? And yet, there's nothing leaning in the window but the impression upon my mother's mind. Being dead, she is alone in her remorse. A body that was a bundle of old bones before I was born. <laughs> horrible, horrible. That beast there would know nothing being nothing if I should kill a man under the window. He would not even turn his head. My father and my son on the same jackknife. Oh! Finishes. My baby, thy father's a knight, thy mother a lady, lovely and bright. Uh, that's something that I read in a book. And if I sing, it must be to my mother. And I lack rhyme. Study that tree. It stands there like a purified soul, all cold, sweet, glistening light. Dear mother, the window is dark again, but you are in the light because I finished all that consequence. I killed that lad because had he grown up, he would have struck a woman's fancy, begot and passed pollution on. I am a wretched, foul old man and therefore harmless. When I have stuck this old jackknife into a sod and pulled it out all bright again and picked up all the money that he dropped, I'll to a distant place and there tell my old jokes among new men. <laughs> Hoof beats. Dear God, how quickly it returns. Beat, beat. Her mind cannot hold up that dream. Twice a murderer, and all for nothing. She must animate that dead knight not once, but many times. Oh, God, release my mother's soul from its dream. Mankind can do no more. And that was Purgatory, William Butler Yeats, Yurisovsky. That collection is called Tales from a Stormy Night. It's available through Blackstone Audiobooks on Audible or Downpour.com. I'll have links to those at RadioDramaRevival.com. 
And um, the tale you're about to hear, A Cask of Amontillado, is on that collection uh, with Robertson Dean um, as, as one of the actors. Um, you're going to hear Bill Dufries's version uh, released under a collection called Horoscopes, a bunch of uh, spooky tales that he did um, with Audio Comics Company, audiocomicscompany.com. Um, Cask of Amontillado. Oh, but what collection of frightening tales for Halloween would be complete without an offering from one of America's greatest writers of horror, Edgar Allan Poe, with his classic tale of ultimate revenge, The Cask of Amontillado. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as I best could. But when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You who so well know the nature of my soul will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit, for the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity to practice imposture upon the British and the Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemmery, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. <laughs> Montresor! Ah, yeah. My dear Fortunato, <laughs> you are luckily met. 
How remarkably well you are looking today. Yeah, don't I? <laughs> but I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado. Oh. And I have my doubts. How? Amontillado? Mm -hmm. A pipe? <laughs> Impossible. And in the middle of a carnival. I have my doubts. And I was silly <laughs> enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. Uh -huh. You were not to be found. And I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado. I have my doubts. Amontillado. And I must say... Satisfied. Ah, As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchese. If anyone has a critical turn, it is uh, he will tell Lucchese me... Lucchese cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. Uh, and yet, some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Uh, whither? To your vaults. Oh, uh, my friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucchese... I have no engagement. Now come. My friend, no, it, it, it is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing, Amontillado. You have been imposed upon, and as for Lucchese, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. <laughs> Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm. Putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a rocalaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until morning and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, and I well knew to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. <coughs> the pipe? Uh, it is farther on, uh. but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. <coughs> Nitre? Nitre. <coughs> How long have you had that cough? It is nothing. Come, we will go back. Your health is oh. precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucas. Enough! The cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True. True, and indeed I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. A draught of this medal. Defend us from the death. Here, drink. I drink to the buried that repose around us. <laughs> and I to your long life. <laughs> Come, give me your arm and let us proceed. <laughs> These vaults are extensive. Ah, the Montresors were a great, numerous family. I forget your arms. 
<coughs> a huge human foot door in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant, whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Nemo me umbune lacessit. Good, good. <laughs> the wine sparkled in his eyes, and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the Madoc. We had passed through walls of piled bones with casks and puncheons intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. <coughs> the nighter. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back ere it is too late. You're a call. It is nothing. Let us go on. But first, another draft of the Medoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de Grave. He emptied it in a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend. Not I. Then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? Well, you are not of the Masons. Yes, 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 yes. You, impossible. A Mason, A Mason. A sign, then. It is this. (coughs) A trowel, you (laughs) jest. But let us proceed to the Amutiah. Ah, be it so. Here, take my arm again. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt, there appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains piled to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall, thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height Six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no especial use in itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depths of the recess. Its termination the feeble light did not enable us to see. Ah, proceed. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchese, he is an <laughs> Interrupted my friend as he stepped unsteadily forward while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other about two feet horizontally. 
From one of these depended a short chain, from the other a padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too much astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand over the wall. You cannot help feeling the night. Yet indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No? Uh, then I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. Amontillado? True. The Amontillado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I have before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of my masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low, moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast, I again paused and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess. But the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now, there came from out the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice 
which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. <laughs> A very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. <laughs> We will have many a rich laugh about it at the Palazzo. <laughs> Over our wine? Leo Martiado. Yes, Leo Martiado. <laughs> but is it not getting late? Will they not be waiting us at the Palazzo <laughs> and the Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes. Let us be gone. Love of God, Montresor. Yes, for the love of God. But to these words, I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud. Fortunato. No answer. I called again. Fortunato. No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick on account of the dampness of the catacombs. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace, request Scott. That was the Edgar Allan Poe classic, A Cask of Amontillado, uh, the famous cautionary tale about going deep into the catacombs of a building when you're told that the servants are out for the night. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Also, perhaps you should not uh, go out to off-grid cabins for the weekend in rural parts of the state where no one knows where they are or how to rescue you, but that's what I'm going to do. So I will uh, collect some sound effects, uh, visit the world out there, and be back to you next week, hopefully, here on Radio Drama Revival, um, enjoying all of the uh, horror classics. I'm working on a sort of horror classic collection for your blog post at radiodramarevival.com. I don't think I'm going to have for that up for you just this yet this week, but around uh, mid-October, October 15th, that should be available. I'm going to make a Huff Duffer um, sub-podcast of just the horror collection, um, stuff from our archive. So um, do check that out. I'll make a bigger mention to it in the podcast um, following that week when it's up. Uh, next week, I'm very excited to be bringing on the creators of Tales from Beyond the Pale, um, one of this really marvelous um, horror collections uh, in, the, in the style of old-time radio, but with real classic, uh, but with real fresh new gory takes um two seasons of that production done and it's really 
great stuff. Um, be welcoming them next week. Excited about that. Um, and in addition to all that, there'll be hundreds and hundreds of hours at radiodramarevival.com. Sift through the major, 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 mega page of uh, archives there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Drama. Stuff is actually starting to happen on Twitter, which is kind of cool, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Radio Drama Revival. Of course, you can find the actual show on iTunes or Stitcher. Search for Radio Drama. I also happen to like the Beyond Pod app on Android. You search for Radio Drama. We come up at the top of the list. Excited about that. So keep telling your friends. Uh, keep uh, favoring us and uh, leaving reviews and doing what you can to keep this um, energy going. Keep people listening um, through this show for you. Um, and then that is a wrap. Uh, Radio Drama Revival is brought to you by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh, copyright of individual shows. Remains that are original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, that is Southern Maine's community radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.